Hi everyone and welcome to the Flip Flops Podcast. My name is Angelique Gay. I'm a mom and a writer who recently went through a major life transition. Each week I invite other creatives and change makers onto the show to talk about their own transitions, a time in their life when they felt completely untethered and lost, which as it turns out is actually completely normal and can even be life affirming. Today, I'm so thrilled to be chatting with LA-based podcaster, chef, cookbook author, and certified health coach, Lauren Lobley. Lauren's world was thrown upside down when she gave birth to her daughter. She's now on a mission to offer moms the village of support she didn't have when she became a mom. She started the Mom Feed blog and podcast. Lauren's wisdom makes her a necessary resource and her raw, no-filter communication style makes her feel like a trusted friend. You will absolutely love her. Enjoy. I wanted to talk to you because, as I told you when I was doing research for Cassandra and Andrew, I discovered your podcast and I loved your interview with her. And it just felt really familiar. And when I heard that you are also from Montreal and, you know, you're growing your audience and you're just, you're great at what you're doing. I just, I wanted to reach out and talk to you. And, you know, you obviously are kind of marked by your transition into motherhood. So I wanted to give you a chance to kind of tell us your story. What were you doing before you were a mom and before you were podcasting? And then how did you kind of transition into podcasting and choose motherhood as your main topic? Yeah, those are great questions. <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show, Angelique. I really appreciate it. And I too, am a big fan of Andrew and Cassandra. They actually are a big part of me helping me get settled in LA when I moved from Montreal. They actually like borrowed their friend's truck and drove me all over the place getting furniture and helped me move in to my apartment and they were my first group of friends when I was here, which Los Angeles is a very big place and it's kind of hard to find a community here. So that made such a big difference in my life. And Cassandra is actually a big part of the story of what I was doing before I became a mom and before I was doing this. And that's because, so before this podcast that I am doing now, long before in the Wayback Machine, <laughs> um, when I was still living in Montreal, I was working for Lululemon, which we all know and love. I started working for them in 2006, actually before they were even a public company. And I just, I absolutely loved it. And I grew really quickly. I worked at the location in Fairview. And within nine months, I was promoted to the store manager. And I was like, oh, this is great cool. I'm like, I love my job. I love what I do. Like you, you would have to peel me out of the store every day. I would stay like 12 to 14 hours. And my then boyfriend at the time would be like waiting to pick me up. They're like, come on, let's go. And I'm sure all the staff was like, get her out of here. And I am sure about that because what happened is once I became the manager, I didn't understand what it meant to be a manager. I thought, okay, cool. I'm the manager now. That means I'm the boss. People just, you know, do what I say. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's not how it works at all. And I was quickly realizing I was just like losing control of the ship because I didn't understand that that's not what leadership is about. Leadership is about being enrolled in who you are leading, being in a 
like a mutually beneficial relationship, not one of hierarchy, but one of respect. And them, your the people you're working with also need to be enrolled in you. And they're not going to be enrolled in you if you're just going around making commands and not respecting them and their unique needs. And so I learned that the hard way. And it was really hard for me because I'm very type A and I'm a perfectionist and I don't like to do things wrong. And I'm a people pleaser recovering. I'm actually working on that. and I'm a lot better now, but nobody likes it when people don't like you. And my staff did not like me. I was like, okay, well, I'm not used to this. So why that's important is I actually went on vacation to Los Angeles about a year into maybe like six months into being a manager. And I stayed with Andrew and Cassandra in Los Angeles. And Cassandra had the food network on the whole time. I was like, what is this? Is this show about cooking? What, what do you, what? And <laughs> right. And Cassandra, she's just like every night she would make these beautiful meals and she'd have these charcuterie boards and just like whip up these the most amazing meals. And this was like a tiny little apartment in West Hollywood with a teeny tiny little galley kitchen. And the most beautiful things would come out of this kitchen. And I remember just looking at her and going, why do you make things from scratch? I was like, you know, you can just go get a box of Duncan Hines and add water and oil and have a cake. Like you don't need to make this from scratch. And I actually one night went to the store to Ralph's and bought a box of chocolate cake, instant cake, and made it for her so she could taste it. So she could not have to put so much effort into cooking. We went out for a walk one night. We came back and their dog had eaten the entire thing. Oh, no. I was like, oh, no. Okay. That was a little bit of foreshadowing because I was just so inspired by, and I guess rocked by, Cassandra's cooking and the food network and the farmer's markets that I got to go to while I was there that I was like, okay, something shifted in me. And I got back to Montreal and I bought all of Ina Garten's cookbooks. Ina Garten is the Barefoot Contessa. She's my hero. I bought literally all of the cookbooks I could find. And I started cooking and I started cooking so much, but my boyfriend at the time couldn't eat it all. So I started inviting my staff from Lululemon over to my house and I started feeding them. And what happened was the barriers between us began to break down. I began to learn how to be a leader and they began to see me as a person and not this robotic, crazy person who was telling them what to do at work. And it was just this beautiful experience of a transformation of us all over food, mostly me coming into this new part of myself of understanding leadership, understanding that leadership is really not about telling people what to do. It's people have a conversation going on in their heads. So you can tell them all day long, go fold these pants, go do this thing. But if the conversation in their head is, okay, yeah, whatever, Lauren, and it's negative, you're not going to make a difference. But if you can change that conversation in their head to be really enrolled in you because they know that you are enrolled in them, that's where leadership happens. And that is what literally happened in my apartment over food. And that was my transformation. Because I was so enamored with Los Angeles, I eventually put in for a transfer through Lululemon to work there. And eventually they gave it to me. <laughs> which was amazing. So I got to move to Los Angeles, but then I was faced with a whole new team and a whole new team 
at the store in Beverly Hills. They're like, who is this Canadian girl coming in here? We've already got things going on. But I was schooled in the school of culinary where I knew that food could break down barriers. And so I did the same thing with my team in Los Angeles. I had them over for a potluck every Sunday. And that is where we bonded and we just forged this really great relationship. So that's what I was doing before motherhood. And then I actually ended up leaving Lululemon to go to culinary school because I loved it so much. So I gave up my job at Lululemon. I gave up my visa, my work visa and everything. And I went back to Vancouver, Canada to do certificate in pastry arts, actually, at the Art Institute. And then I <laughs> I had met my husband two days before I was moving out of Los Angeles for culinary school. And we went on a, a date and I was like, oh, I think there might be something here. So we actually continued dating throughout culinary school. And when I was finished, I moved back to Los Angeles to be with him and to see if this was really the real deal. And it turns out it was. So I ended up staying in Los Angeles and I worked as the head baker for Duff Goldman from Ace of Cakes at their West Side location, Charm City Cakes West, for a few years. And then I became a health coach because I saw my health deteriorating from eating all that sugar. <laughs> and then I wrote a cookbook and then I wrote another cookbook. What and are the names of your cookbook? So the first cookbook I wrote was an ebook called A 14-Day Nutrition Reset. And that just walks people through a 14-day guide to just clean out your nutrition. And then I wrote The Accidental Paleo, which is actually available. <laughs> That's a great title. Yeah, it's actually available on Amazon. And actually, I'm happy to, to give away a copy to one of your listeners if you want. Ooh, yes. that would be great. Yeah. So happy to do that. That's great. Yeah. But so it's 85 recipes. They're vegetarian paleo recipes. And I had been ghostwriting. So I'm also a writer that I've been doing this whole time for like 20 years. And I had been ghostwriting for this company and they're a paleo company. And I was like, I have a book pitch. And they were like, and I was plant-based at the time. They're like, well, we don't really do vegan. And I was like, what if it's vegetarian paleo? They're like, oh yeah, we'll do that. So I just made a few tweaks to the recipes, added in some eggs here and there. And so lo and behold, you have the accidental paleo, which is amazing. Yeah. A bunch of vegetarian paleo recipes. So I did that. And then I actually got pregnant before the launch of that book. So I got pregnant while I was still ghostwriting and health coaching and working as a chef. I don't know. That transition was really hard for me. I had a lot of ideas about what motherhood was going to be like. And as you know, it's very different once you actually become a mother. And what happened is it kind of launched me into this, who am I now? I don't know who I am now. And that's what I'm in right now. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah. Because so for me, I knew that motherhood changed you. And that's, mm -hmm. that was always my biggest fear because that lack of control over who I would become, mm -hmm. that unknowing terrified me. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what were the ideas that you had in your head and how is motherhood different? So I thought, okay, I'm having a girl. It's going to be a mini me. It's going to be so easy. I'm going to follow all the books that say how to train them to sleep and it's going to be blissful. I was not expecting breastfeeding to hurt so dang much. I could not put a towel over me when I got out of the shower for the first three months. I was not expecting a colicky baby. My daughter was colic for the first three or four months. So she just would scream 
in my arms for hours. I was not expecting the sleep deprivation at all. I mean, there were some nights where I would get like maybe an hour or two in total, just on account of she wouldn't calm down. And then when she would calm down, she would fall asleep on top of me. And you can't sleep like that because you're so concerned, first of all, that they're going to roll off and die or that you're going to roll over onto them. And then you're judging yourself because you're like, well, they're not supposed to be in the bed with me. They're supposed to be in their own crib. So then you've got that going on, but you can't get them in the crib. Like, I mean, it's just like all of the little micro details that nobody tells you about, you know, like she'd fall asleep on me and I would have to pee so badly, but I was terrified to move. So I would sit there for hours having to pee so badly, waiting for her to wake up, but also not wanting her to wake up because when she woke up, she was going to need to breastfeed and my boobs hurt and I didn't want to do that. Like all of those like crazy thoughts. And it was very isolating. I was not expecting that. I was living in Malibu at the time. And Malibu is like literally my my neighbors were Owen Wilson and Julia Roberts and Barbara Streisand and Lady Gaga. Like they all lived in my neighborhood. But They have gates and codes. These are not neighbors that I can go over and knock on their door and say, hey, can you watch my kid while I take a shower? Or you know what I mean? It's not, wasn't a community. You can't go to Barbara Streisand (laughs) and ask her to babysit? I do have a fun Babs story, but not Um, not to do with babies. Oh my God, I'm so excited. But yeah, so it was very isolating. And my family's still all in Montreal and Toronto. And my husband's family is in New York. So I was just alone. And I just felt like a horrible mom because I was like, this is hard. And anytime anybody asked me, how are you doing? I wanted to say, I'm not good. I'm not good. I don't like this. I love my daughter, but I don't like this life at all. And if it's going to be like this, I think I made a mistake. I don't want this. And I did not feel safe to say that. All I felt safe to say was, yeah, it's so great. And that, that was all that there was space for. And then on top of that, I expected, so this is embarrassing, but I'll tell it anyway. When I was at the doctor with my first child for the three-month checkup, I was in the lab and I saw this woman with a newborn and she had this huge pregnant belly. And I was like, so weird. Is it? No, she can't. Why does she still look pregnant? Does she have another one in there? Like, I don't, I did not understand that your stomach didn't just like go flat as soon as the baby came out. I was 31 years old and I did not understand that. So the expectations that are set up for us women are such that the baby comes out, you leave the hospital in your skinny jeans. That's what happens. And so when people told me to put my maternity clothes into the hospital bag, I was like, what are you talking about? But seeing that woman, I kind of was like, oh, okay. And then I, sure enough, I wore my maternity clothes for the first 10 months postpartum with my daughter and actually the first 16 months postpartum with my son. Because my body is not the body that drops weight while I'm breastfeeding. It holds on to weight so that I can have enough to feed my children. And I hated that. And I spent so much time shaming my body for not, quote, bouncing back to what it was before and scrolling through social media and feeling so jealous that other moms had that experience. Why not me? What was wrong with me? And it just... The whole experience was super isolating. And I had something called diastasis recti, which is where your abs separate and you don't, they don't come back together. And my midwife and doctors were just like, oh yeah, it's just something that happens. And I was like, you guys, I can see my intestines moving around under my skin. My lower back is killing me. My stomach hurts. This is not a vanity thing at this point. It's literally a a functional thing. And it took me a year of searching around to find somebody who would finally help me begin to close the gap. 
and get some functionality back in my stomach and my lower back. That's unacceptable. So that was my experience with my first child. Isolation, the feelings of resentment and anger, and then guilting myself on top of those feelings for feeling that way, feeling like I couldn't tell anybody about it, feeling like if I did, they would think I was a horrible person and a horrible mother. And it was pretty brutal. And shaming your body too. And shaming my body and buying into this rhetoric that we have to somehow bounce back to the bodies we had before. The bodies we had before did not carry a child or children and did not have that child come out of their vessel in some way, shape, or form. Your body's not going to go back to what it was before. It's just not. I mean, yes, you might lose the weight and you might eventually, you probably will eventually lose the weight and get back to the fit person you want to be. It's different. You've now grown a human being inside your body. You're not going to be the same. And I hated that I didn't allow myself to look at my body as the miracle that it was. It is a freaking miracle that we can grow a human being in our body and then birth that human being and then feed that human being. It is a miracle. And I hate that I didn't allow myself to see that because the rhetoric in our culture is so strong on, okay, get your body back after baby, six weeks postpartum, blah, 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 blah. Well, come to learn in doing this podcast in one of the episodes I did with a doctor of physical therapy, she's like, yeah, the six-week checkup should really just be the doctor looking at your tissues and giving you the okay to now go see a physical therapist. Your tissues are actually not healed for three to six months, depending on your particular genetic makeup. Wow. So, right? I mean, I was like, how come I, how come this is not common knowledge? So the way the podcast came about is actually after I had my second child, I was reading a book called In the Flow by Elisa Viti. And there was a chapter, first of all, that book is like a Bible. Any woman of any age needs to read that book because we need to understand how our hormones work. Our bodies are different from men's bodies, completely different. We have, I forget how many more hormone receptors. I want to say like a hundred, but don't quote me, but we are different. And men and women both have a circadian rhythm. But as I learned from the book, women also have a second rhythm and it's called an infradian rhythm. And this infradian rhythm governs our body just as much as the circadian one does. And it has to do with our cycle. So there are four different phases of our 28 to 31 day cycle. And if we are working out really hard and pushing ourselves at work really hard and eating too much during the two week phase where we're supposed to be chilling and relaxing according to our hormones, we're actually going to do harm or have the opposite effect of what we're trying to do. It was so fascinating. So if you don't know about the infradian rhythm, everybody definitely go and look that up. If you're a woman, you have this infradian rhythm. You need to know about it. It can change your life. So this book in Does the it talk flow, about the relation to the moon as well. It a little bit. So and there is like I I did do we could get into a discussion about that, but uh, seed cycling is a is a way of um, cycling seeds according to your cycle and the lunar cycle in order to help balance hormones, specifically estrogen and progesterone, um, which is actually a way that I was able to get pregnant or that helped me get pregnant the second time when I was having trouble. So if anybody is having some challenges hormonally or trying to get pregnant, I was trying to get pregnant and I couldn't stay pregnant because my progesterone was so low. 
and seed cycling help to rebalance my progesterone. And it's a natural way of taking seeds, pumpkin, chia, flax during the estrogen producing phase and sesame, sunflower during the progesterone producing phase that promotes the production of progesterone or estrogen. I'm curious, after you had had such a challenging time the first time, and this is very personal and feel free to say, I don't want to answer that. What made you decide to have another one? I think I just always had it in my head because I have a brother and a sister. I'm a middle child and I have such fond memories growing up with siblings that I wanted that for my family as well. Mm -hmm. And eventually things leveled out with my daughter. She eventually did start to sleep through the night around six months. And I didn't have to do any sleep training per se. I did a method where it's like a pick up, put down method where every time she cried, I'd pick her up and I'd put her down when she stopped. And so she was, I never left her alone to cry or anything like that. No judgment if you do that. I just couldn't do that. And it worked for her. And she became a dream sleeper and she was sleeping 12 hours a night and three hour naps in the daytime. So that definitely had a big impact because I kind of could start to gather myself, at least physically. I still was struggling with the identity piece when I did decide to have another. But really and truly deciding to have another one was because I wanted my daughter to have a sibling. What made you start the podcast? So while I was reading that book in the flow, I was reading a section about Matrescence. Matrescence. Are you familiar with the word? No, you're my teacher today. Okay. So matrescence is a word coined by, I believe, the reproductive therapist Alexandra Sachs. It is the word to describe the hormonal phase that a woman goes through when she becomes a mother. And during this phase... Sorry, I have to jump in and just say, so I've adopted. Okay. Do they address the difference between giving birth and becoming a mom through adoption? I'm curious. You know, I think they did a little bit. I'll get into that in one sec because... So I was just reading Dr. Shafali's new book. I forget what it's called. I'll get it for you for the show notes if you want. But what she was talking about in that book, so with regards to being a mother biologically or through adoption or foster or whatever it is, as women, we already have these mothering and nurturing tendencies and hormones. And from what I've read, what can happen is whether you have produced uh, biologically had a child or not, if there's a baby around you, your body is going to react as if you've had the baby in a lot of ways. That's how wet nursing even works. So while you won't have the exact like intensity of the experience of matricense from having biologically had a child, you will have it to a certain degree. Yes. So so define matricense. So (laughs) matricense and just that's amazing that you've adopted. I just, I love that, that you did that. That's amazing. I just got uh, chills. And My so brother. Our, our flight back from China, she slept on me for five hours. So I had that mm-hmm. moment of, oh my God, I can't move. Yeah. And that was, it's intense. It's, it's so yep. beautiful yep. on the outside. And yet, oh my God, the beginning of what is a whole new life. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing about motherhood. It's not an or game. It's an end game. It's beautiful and it's hard. And that's okay. I think so often we're like, oh, we don't want to admit that it's hard, but it's like, it's hard. It doesn't mean you don't love your kid. It's hard. It doesn't mean there aren't joyful moments every single day, but no, but it's like your experience and your brain split in two. Yes. And you were an individual before you were a mom and now you're a mom and you're like trying to rectify who you were before and who you are now. And the reality is you're not the same. You can't be. 
No. You can't be. It's going to change. And there's going to be a little bit, like for me, of rubbing up against like having a temper tantrum of like, wait, but no, I I liked the me before. I, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know, it's like you go into it. You think, you know, like you went to China and adopted your daughter. You think you know what you're getting into. I was like, I want to have a kid. I thought I knew. I did not know. You can't possibly know you something. You can't know until you're in it. No, I you mean, can't. We all knew it would be hard. We all knew there would be some lack of sleep. We all knew like the basics, but until you go through it, you you can't know. And no. every child is different on top of it. Every experience is different. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we need to get away from not being allowed to have these conversations that mm. like, yeah, this is hard. Yes, I made this choice. It doesn't mean it's not hard and you're allowed to talk about it. So, and that's what my podcast is about. So the Mattresense is this term during the time which a woman becomes a mother, her brain chemistry and her hormones change so much that you can tell in a brain scan within six months when a woman has had a child. And it is the time during a mom's life where her hormones change more than in puberty and even menopause. The fact that I did not know this, I'm sitting there reading this, two children in and did not know about this until then made me so mad about the way mm. our system is set up in that we don't take care of our moms. We don't. If you are pregnant, if you have a biological child, you get all these appointments, all these appointments leading up to the pregnancy, all this attention on you. The baby comes out. It's no longer about you. You get one week postpartum, six week checkup. That is a complete joke. They don't prepare you for anything. They don't tell you what's happening with your body. They don't tell you what to expect. There's no support. You're just expected to figure it out because, well, we've done this for since the beginning of time. So What's you'll figure it deal? out. Exactly. Yeah. So I was angry and I just was like, I want to be a part of, first of all, being able to have raw, open and honest conversations about what it's like to become a mom as we go through all the transitions, not just leaving the hospital with our kid, not just the first year. But the second year and the third year and all of these iterations, because we keep shedding layers of of our identity and blossoming into new ones. But it's hard because nobody tells you when you birth a child or adopt a child, you also birth a mom. Oh, I love that. Right? That's beautiful. And that's it. Like, that's what happened. You brought your daughter back from China and you were born as a mother. I'm going to cry. That's so beautiful. Right. And then what happens? We have this idea that we need to be perfect at it right away. What? No. Do we expect our children? I had this woman, Britta Bushnell. She's a fantastic birth educator. She was on the show and she was like, you know, when your child's learning how to walk, you don't get them to like stand up and walk and go, oh, what's wrong with you? Well, you're not doing it right. (laughs) You know, or when they're trying to learn how to talk and they can't say a full sentence or speak a different language. You don't say, what is the matter with you? But we do that to ourselves as moms for every decision we make. Like, why am I not doing this perfectly? It's uh, it, like we... It's debilitating. If it's you, debilitating. Yeah. We and were we just need, having this conversation last night with friends where we all agreed. We have decided that we are good enough parent. Enough. Yes. Enough. Yes. The good enough parent is, first of all, if you love your child you're good. If you love your child enough to be up late at night Googling whatever it is you're Googling, because I know you're Googling something, whether it's <laughs> why is my kid's poop green? What is this rash? How do I get my kid to eat more? 
vegetable, whatever it is, you are a great parent. You care. And like that is enough. We live in a society of more, 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 more is better. And it's Mm. so noisy. And it's so noisy that we've lost touch with our own intuition and our own ability to parent. So I, with this podcast, I'm just like, okay, first of all, I want women to be seen, heard, and understood. I want them to walk away feeling like they've been hugged. I will hug you. It's okay. All of the things you're feeling, it's okay. And actually, it's normal. We're not going to stay stuck in a state that is maybe sad or whatever, but we're going to feel it. We're going to acknowledge it. And then we're going to move on because I'm going to help you get some resources with whatever it is you're suffering from. So I've had somebody on to talk about diastasis recti, prolapse, bladder leakage, which by the way, are not normal. Just because something is common does not make it normal. I've had my positive discipline parenting coach on. I've had my friends come on, a few friends come on who have lost children to talk about how you move on after that. I've had somebody come on to talk about how she lost her spouse and how you move on after that. I just want to tackle across the board stuff that comes up for us as moms in the most impactful way to serve as a resource to help enhance your life as a mom and to honor the transition that you are going through and will continue to go through. It's incredible. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think it's brave and I love how raw you are and how honest and yeah, so congratulations for that. And then, so what would you say are your three biggest takeaways from your guests that you've had on the podcast? Well, definitely the bit about when a child is born, so too is a mother. That is a big takeaway. That theme has come up over and over again. I think another big takeaway is really needing us to shift from this rhetoric of we need to bounce back. Our bodies need to be this skinny or this weight or this fit or this whatever after we've had a baby to, oh my gosh, my body is a miracle. I am a miracle. I am amazing. I am raising a human on virtually no sleep. I am still functioning and I am amazing. So shifting the conversation over from like shaming our bodies and ourselves over to empowering our bodies and seeing them as a miracle. And then the third one I think would just be compassion because we talk about with, especially with positive discipline parenting and conscious parenting, it's all about allowing our children to have their big feelings, right? You know, they're having a temper tantrum instead of trying to fix it for them and try to make it stop. You sit down with them, you allow them to have their feelings because they just need to work through it. And learning that (laughs) the inability to allow our children to sit through those temper tantrums without trying to fix it for them is our own inability to sit with our own feelings of discomfort, right? And, And usually the temper tantrums, they're not our faults necessarily, though our children are very sensitive to our moods and what's going on in the household. So I would implore anybody listening, like if there's a temper tantrum going on, ask yourself, have we recently traveled? Did we recently have a play date? Is my kid hungry, tired? Like there are lots of different factors that lead to the temper tantrums, but then look at your reaction. Mine is usually to get triggered and angry. And so that temper tantrum is a mirror for me to go, okay, well, what is making me angry about this? Oh, because I can't control the situation and I don't like that. Mm, Okay. I remember a big breakthrough I had when I was on maternity leave with my daughter and she was having tantrums Mm. and I would not know how to deal with it. So we Googled how to deal with it and we asked people and we did all the things that you do. And finally, one day I had a realization, what if she just needs a hug? And so I asked her because she was two, I was able to, I asked her 
do you need a hug? Do you want a hug? And she just fell in my arms and hugged me. And now she's able to say to me, mama, I need a hug when she's sad. Mama, I need a hug. And that for me was so huge because to get upset or to get angry is to separate yourself from your child and to try to control it. But when I embraced her and just acknowledged like, oh, we did a lot of things today. She's been through a lot of transitions. So she needs to let out all the feelings of the intensity of that experience for her when I acknowledged all of that and I just kind of sat with her or offered her a hug. Then all of a sudden I was able to sit with it and she was able to ask for what she needed and it shifted everything. Yeah. And I was so proud of myself because I figured it out myself. And and that is the part of the birthing of the mother yeah. is when you discover how to mother and yeah. kind of put aside all your own challenges with your own emotions and whatnot. It ended up being really beautiful. So that is absolutely beautiful and good for you for figuring that out on your own. I did not figure that out on my own. It took me <laughs> having a coach to learn that. And I think that a lot of us don't figure that out on our own because that's not how we were brought up. And our parents did the best they could with what they had. And they were not, at least in my household, my parents were very supportive, but wasn't a lot of space to have your feelings. So, you know, it wasn't intuitive on my part to do that. And that's so cool that it was for you because that is, that's all they need. And if you think about it, when you're upset, you don't want somebody yelling at you. No, that's, and that's what I asked myself. I said, what if I flip this on its head? Because what I'm doing is not working. <laughs> so I exactly. have to try something completely different. In my household, yeah, there was, there was not a lot of space for it. And I think typically, yeah, the first instinct is to get angry and have a lack of patience because yeah. you're tired, because of all the reasons why parents are, are tired and don't have the space because you're trying to be a human and have, you know, do all the things that you have to do and also take care of your child. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an amazing thing to, to figure something out. I'm sure you've had lots of things where that you figured out where you were like, wow, I'm really proud of myself for this. Proud of myself. And also like, whoa, that really worked. Like I remember a similar situation with my daughter when she was having a temper tantrum. She was like three and I just sat on the floor with her and I let her have her tantrum until she was ready. And then she came over and gave me a hug and then it was done. And I was like, wait, what? Wow. What? I literally did not have to do anything. She just got it out. I held the space for her. She came over and hugged me. And then it was like nothing ever happened. And that's such a lesson for us too. It's like we hold on to things as adults. Not only that, but we live in a society that makes us terrified of our feelings. Everything yes. is like, move on. Don't be upset. Be happy. Yeah. But to sit Toxic with your feelings. Yeah, exactly. To sit with your feelings is, I mean, I've been in therapy just to learn, to re-remind mm-hmm. myself you have to sit with your feelings. Yeah, exactly. And and so that, what a what a gift you've given your children well, by teaching so. them to not be afraid of these huge feelings. Yeah, and then you know what? Look, I'm not perfect every time. Like, trust me, I'm in the middle of a 21 day liquid cleanse right now. That's for oh gut, gut health reasons. I would not recommend it. It's medically supervised, so don't do it. Okay. But like my my patience is not right not there right now. And so even if you're not on a cleanse, it has been a hard year and a half. So any parent listening right now, give yourself a break. It's all good. If you end up losing it with your child and saying what you don't want to say, which is stop crying, blah, 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 you have an opportunity to repair. And that is a huge, huge advantage. Because if you can apologize to your child, you are showing them how to apologize and how important it is. And that's one of the like foundational pieces of any healthy relationship is admitting when you're wrong. So if you end up losing it with your kid, 
you can say, when mommy was mad, don't say, I'm sorry, I got mad because that tells them it's not okay to have a feeling. Oh, interesting. Yeah. When mommy got mad, I should not have yelled at you or I should not have slammed the brush against the table or whatever it is you did. I should have chosen a better way. What do you think I should have done? And then you bring them into it and they get to tell you, well, take a deep breath, do a little dance, do whatever. And you get to talk through it with them. And now they know conflict resolution and they know how to apologize. So, And from where I'm standing, I find it really interesting because it's a lot like learning how to be a leader, right? Like you think being a parent is going to be like, I'm going to tell my child what to do and they're going to listen (laughs) and it's just going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And then it's no, it's if you have to invest them in it as well. And like you said, like enroll them and and it's about them and their, you know, what's going on in their brain. So yeah, that's why one of the biggest parenting hacks that I got from my coaches, you know, like you're trying to get their pajamas on or something at bedtime and trying to get their teeth brushed. If you're trying to tell them what to do, they're going to be like, no, but if you make it a game and granted you might be too tired for this, but I promise you it is the path of least resistance. Make it a game. I will put my daughter's pajama pants on my head. I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to put these on here. And then she'll be like, no, that's not where they go. And then lo and behold, she puts them on her legs. I'm like, oh, well, look at that. Or if I make a game, like I'll hold her pants out and I'll be like, is there a little birdie who's going to come and jump into these pants? No. <laughs> and that like they can't help it if you make things a game. So if you 100%. try to talk, right? That was one thing I figured out too, was like, make it fun mm-hmm. and they will go along with you. It's, yeah. If you, you try have to, to like find your inner clown. <laughs> exactly. If you try to tell them what to do. <laughs> No, that's not going to work. Just because they quote unquote should clean up does not mean they're going to do it. Right. They're not going to. You have to do it with them. You have to make it a game. You know? Yes. And you're right. That is leadership. Like know who your audience is. Yeah. No. So yeah, I went on a tangent, but I think those were the three takeaways. Hopefully. that's, That's great. You're doing this amazing podcast. How long have you been doing it now? Actually a year. August 6th will be a year. That's incredible. Wow. We're coming up on your anniversary. That's amazing. You have reached your thousand followers on Instagram. Congratulations. Thank you. And you made a point of saying, I will not buy an audience, even though experts are telling me I should. I only want people who authentically and genuinely want to be here. Mm -hmm. So congratulations for that. So what are you working on with the experts and how are you marketing yourself? Your website is gorgeous. Yeah. Tell me a bit about how you're promoting your podcast and yeah, maybe be what your goals are with it? Sure. Well, we actually just reached 10,000 downloads, which is a huge deal yesterday. And of course I have my sights set on much more because I just want to reach so many more mm-hmm. moms, millions of moms. So this is just the first, the 10,000 steps. So from an expert- how many? Sorry, how many episodes have you done so far? I can't remember. That have been released so yeah. far, 52 as okay. of today. Amazing. But I've done, I've recorded about 60. So okay. yeah, it's pretty, pretty epic. Especially While since you're I, yeah. parenting. Well, I've, and I have pandemic. like, yes, no help. My family's still in Canada. I haven't seen my family in two years. Missed my sister's wedding in Montreal, had to attend it over Zoom. It's just been terrible. But, you know, where there is a will, there is a way. And I just am so passionate about this that I've found the crevices of time and or rather they have found me. I feel like that's kind of what happened. Marketing wise, there's this woman named Julie Ciardi who has this amazing program for small businesses. And I had her on the podcast. And one of the things she said is, know which mode you're in. Are you in start mode or scale? So what does that mean? Start mode is like me. 
I'm just starting out. So do I have a big team? No, I have me and I have a virtual assistant who I brought on six months into it. A virtual assistant. So she's somebody who she does all the newsletters for me. So I'll, so that's part of the marketing. I do a weekly newsletter, sign up at the momfeed.com for the newsletter. There's lots of good stuff in there. So I create the newsletter and then she puts it all into MailChimp and makes it look pretty. Tell us what's in the newsletter. So the newsletter is just a little motivational message from me and a quote and the new episode that came out that week along with an episode related to that one that you may have missed. And then there's usually some kind of promotional thing in there if you want to try something through my affiliates. There's discount codes and stuff like that. So it's it's full of good information. That sounds yummy. Yeah. That's great. I used to put a recipe in there every week, but I'm actually going to be opening up a membership program for the mom feed. And within that membership program, there are going to be recipes and actually live cooking tutorials. So you I love own- that. So then yeah. you're combining your two passions, but will you yeah. still have the podcast available for free and then additional? Absolutely. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. And then well, additionally, so, people take different routes, right? Like at one, I, I know someone who had, you can only access the podcast through paying for it. Yeah. No, I don't want, and- I don't want that. That's not, that's not how I'm going to help people. No, the podcast will always be free, but I am a certified health coach. So I'm offering health coaching and I'm offering a program like a postpartum buddy. So the first, like when you become a mom, whether it's, you know, taking your kid from the hospital or bringing your, your new adopted child home on the plane, those first few weeks are a lot. And I've launched a program where you can hire me to basically just like Voxer. It's like a, a messaging app. You can Voxer back and forth. You can tell me everything that's going on as it's going on all day long, all night long. And I'm like, you're basically like a therapist in the pocket. And we'll have a session too, where I can help get you know, you set up with nutrition stuff if you need it, resources that you might need anywhere from like a physical therapist for your body to a speech therapist for your kid or whatever it is. So there's that. And I'm working on a a six-week postpartum course right now with a a psychologist, a doctor of physical therapy, and my Pilates instructor. And we're creating a course for the first six six weeks postpartum to help bridge the gap for moms from the hospital to the six-week checkup to help them understand wow. what's going on with their body, how to, to stretch out their body with all these new kinks and aches that are going on, how to, you know, journal through the emotional experience and all that stuff. So wow. I'm working on that. And then the membership program is, it's ready to launch. I just have to just pull the trigger. Um, the membership program is going to have two live workouts a month, two live cooking videos a month. And then I'm going to have the ability for people to be able to listen to the podcast as they're being recorded so that they can ask questions. Yeah. Exactly. Love that. Yes. So that's going to be within the membership. And then there'll be recipes. Sorry, how are you going to do that? I don't know yet, but I'm going to do it. Uh, Dave Asprey does it. He does something called The Collective. So I'm doing it. I have a tendency to say I'm going to do things without knowing how to do them first. And then then I figure it out. out. Yeah. Yeah. So that is going to be part of the program. And then I'm going to get different experts every week to host different webinars on various topics. So whether it's like getting my picky four-year-old to eat, figuring out what my identity is now that I'm a mom and things like that. And those will be like extras that you can just pay like five or 10 bucks for to take this webinar with this expert, not me, another person who knows what they're talking Mm -hmm. about, whatever the topic is. So those are the extras that I offer, but the podcast is going to be free always. And then from a marketing standpoint, so back to what Julie Ciardi was saying, start mode, scale mode, start mode, your nuts and bolts, scale mode, you've grown like she's now in scale mode. She's now almost at a million dollars in revenue. 
So now she's going to scale. What does that look like? Well, in start mode, she focused on Instagram funneling into her Facebook group where she would host a live every week. And then four times a year, she would offer the opportunity for people to become enrolled in her small business university. And that's how she made her money. She didn't touch LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, none of that stuff. Now that she's bigger and she can afford to hire out people to help, now she's going to start getting somebody to help her with Pinterest and LinkedIn and YouTube and TikTok and all the things. And so that was monumental for me because I don't know if you're familiar with Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk and Brendan Burchard. And these are all these online marketing people. And what Julie said to me really resonated. She's like, it just does such a disservice when we're telling all of these people, these budding entrepreneurs, you need to be on all of these social platforms and you need to do that. There's not enough you to go around to do that. It costs money to hire people to get onto these platforms to help you market yourself. So you really need to like pick a platform where most of your audience is already hanging out and own that platform first. And then when you have space financially to hire somebody else to help you branch out into the other spaces, that's when you do that. So for me, I've picked Instagram and I'm starting Pinterest because a lot of my moms are on Pinterest. So I'm moving into that strategy. And what do you want to do on Pinterest? Just more promotion of the podcast, but also the mom feed also is a blog. So I will also link to different blog posts. Like there's one blog post of like four ways not to lose your, you know what, with your kids, (laughs) things like that. So just to be a resource on Pinterest and always linking the episodes. And yeah, you just want to be consistent with your branding and your message know what you're standing for, be very clear about what you're offering to people. And that's hard for me because before this, I you know, was a chef and a cookbook author, and I actually have 7,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel as a chef. And that's not translating over to my life as a mom. And so there's a big piece of me that's like, ah, I want to utilize that YouTube channel and get back on YouTube. But it's like, oh my gosh, it's a full-time job just to keep up with Instagram, especially now Instagram has switched over to only being a video app. They don't want to push out static photos anymore. So now I've had to spend a lot more hours each week creating reels and Instagram lives and Instagram TVs in order to, you know, for the algorithm to keep people coming to my page. So I don't have time to do YouTube yet. So I just have to. But why can't you make one video that you use on both? You could. Well, because editing is different. So first of all, video podcasting, I'm not doing yet because I just, I don't have the space for it. I'm in this like garage in my house. That's very just not aesthetically pleasing for a podcast. It costs more for me because I I outsource the editing of the podcast and it will cost more for me to edit a video podcast. And then I just don't want to add that factor just yet. I will, but not yet. How are you making money on your podcast? I'm not yet. So all of the investment is your own money at this point. Yeah. And that's what people need to understand when you start a business, you can't expect to be making money right off the bat. Like you have to kind of earn your place in, I will eventually have brand and sponsorship deals, but I need to show those brands and sponsors that I have a captive audience and that I'm consistent and that I'm worthy of being their partner. So I think a lot of us go into it thinking like, oh, I've got this great idea. I'm going to get sponsorship right away. And that may be true. You might, but you kind of got to earn your stars. You know what I mean? And so there's got to be like, I'm a freelance writer. So I make money outside of 
the podcast Freelance Writing for People that funds the podcast until the podcast starts to fund itself. And that's okay. What's your Barbara Streisand story? So when I got out of culinary school and came back to Los Angeles, I was doing a lot of work for some celebrities. I actually taught Patrick Dempsey and his wife how to bake bread in their house, which was... Stop it right now. Quite the experience. I'm finishing private practice. I'm such a Grace fan. Oh, I did see. I didn't finish Grey's. I was a Grey's fan, and then I kind of got out of it. And then private practice, I got halfway, and I stopped watching it. But yeah, I, all that to say that universe is is one that I am a part of. So when you say Patrick okay. Dempsey, it's very exciting to me. It, it was hysterical. I went to their house to bake bread and uh, to teach them how to bake bread. And Patrick was his wife was there, and then she's like, "Oh, Patrick's just in the pool. <laughs> He's going to join us here. Come out and meet him." And I like go out to the pool and Patrick Dempsey comes out of the pool. Um, I'm just like, is this really happening? Like what is happening? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> hi, I'm Patrick. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Hi. It was so funny. And then he ended up toweling off and joining us for the three hours in the kitchen. He's probably one of the nicest people I've ever met oh, in my life. I love life. hearing that. I yeah. love hearing that. Such a nice guy. So I was hired to do a party at Barbara Streisand's house. Barbara Streisand and Lindy Benson, who's Kenny G's now, I don't know if they're still together, then wife, were holding a party for this woman at one of Barbara's houses. And they asked me to do red velvet cakes, but individual red velvet cakes for all 40 people who were at the party. And at the time, I lived in a tiny little apartment with my husband. We had one little fridge and a tiny little galley kitchen. And I prepared all the cakes in that galley kitchen. And it's a lot to prepare cakes because you've got to make all the cakes and then layer all the cakes. It's a lot. I had a few meltdowns in the kitchen. Let me just tell you that. So the day of the party, I go and... We arrive with all the cakes and my I brought my husband because I was like, I can't do this by myself. I'm not. And my friend Stephanie was there too as my sous chef. But I was like, I am way too nervous. I'm going into Barbara Streisand's house. You have to come with me. So when we go into the house, we go into the kitchen. They brought out all of these beautiful tall cake platters that will fit these individual four inch red velvet cakes on top. And then I just assembled the cakes in the kitchen. And then the idea was that I would bring them out to the table and put them in front of each guest as they sang happy birthday to the guest of honor. And so I'm in the kitchen putting the final touches on the cake. And I wasn't expecting to see Barbara Streisand, but all of a sudden I just heard down the hall. I heard her and I looked at. Sorry, I just have to know, are you a fan? Barbara Streisand? Of course, she's a legend. Okay, I'm just I'm just checking. Not everybody oh. is. I'm obsessed. Oh, yeah. I've seen her in concert. I just wanted, I had to know that part before oh, yes. you told the story. Okay, oh, yes. Ahead. I mean, I've been listening to Barbara Streisand on vinyl since my mother introduced me to her. So, yes. Huge fan. So, she waltzed into the kitchen and I'm not breathing. And she just waltzed in. <laughs> I'm dying right now. I'm absolutely yeah. dying. Yeah. So, she waltzes in and she comes up to me and she says, so I heard about these donuts and I had developed a reputation for making these vegan gluten-free donuts in Malibu. And we used to sell them at our yoga studio. And then eventually I actually sold them at the Malibu farmer's market when I had a booth there. And so she had heard about them and somewhere within me, I had remembered to bring some just in case, even though that wasn't on the menu. And so I, genius. yeah, so I grabbed the platter without saying anything. I don't think I said it worked. And I just handed her the platter. She took a donut. She took a bite. She goes, hmm, not bad. And then she walks out of the kitchen. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I cannot breathe. So (laughs) that was my one-on-one experience with her. And then it came time to go upstairs. 
to bring the cakes upstairs and they had, you had this to table. go upstairs with cakes yes oh what, yes are you a magician well i had help so the staff Still, though, to walk and carry cake and be in barbara streisand's house that's oh, a yeah. lot going on no i know i was not breathing and well, I wasn't breathing and then I was panting heavily. So then I was like walking, walking up the stairs, like don't drop the cake, don't drop the cake, don't drop the cake. I get upstairs in the kitchen where the, the chef is creating all the food and there's this beautiful table on the lawn. And there's Kenny G just hanging out with his saxophone. Sure. And he's like, hey, I was like, hey, Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. And, and he's like, you ready? I was like, yeah. And I didn't know what he meant. Well. So we start walking these cakes out to the lawn and I'm literally elbow to elbow with Kenny G who is playing happy birthday on his saxophone as we are bringing these cakes out to the table and putting them in front of the guests. And there are more celebrities at the table. Who's there? Uh, Maria Shriver was there and I forget who else, but I can't remember at this point. I was just so... Well, your brain's not getting any oxygen, right? Really not. not breathing. No, really (laughs) not happening. And we put the the cakes down and I walk away and we walk back into the kitchen and the chef's there. The the chef was from this place called The Ranch, which is this very fancy one-week long detox program they have here in Malibu. And he's just chatting it up with me and Kenny G's just sitting chatting like we're old friends. And I was like, sure. Okay. Yeah, I could. Okay, great. This is weird and it's not weird. And then that was it. And we packed it up and went home. And... That is my Barbara Streisand, Kenny G story. I still can't believe she met Babs in her house and just offered her a donut. That's such a great story. I love chatting with Lauren about how a mother is born. It's so true that we have to have patience for ourselves and understand how our mind and body are forever changed. I love the parallel between letting our children sit with their emotions and process their daily transitions, just like we have to let ourselves process our own life transitions. Letting our kids sit with that discomfort and not fear their feelings is a gift that will serve them for life. And I'm so inspired by Lauren's mission to help moms everywhere. Be sure to follow her on Instagram and you can check out her blog, themomfeed.com. If you're curious about her life as a chef or you're looking for the recipes for those donuts, check out Delectable You on YouTube. If you enjoyed our chat, please follow Flip Flops. Please share this episode on social media and with your friends or send me a note. I love when you do that. So talk soon and thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.